0: Welcome to Season 3, The Road to the 2020 Olympics, with Adam Undra. I'm your host, Dan Goodwin. Before we begin, however, I have a short story I'd like to share. Back in 1988, before many of you were born, I, along with the late Jeff Lowe and Dick Bass, the first person to climb the Seven Summits, the tallest mountain on each continent, and the owner of the ski resort at Snowbird, Utah, organized and hosted the first International Sport Climbing Championship in the United States. Because I was in the business of building climbing walls with a company I created called Sport Climbing Systems, I was assigned the task of designing and constructing the main climbing wall and the dual speed climbing course. Another firm actually built the overhang, but I made the mold and poured more than 500 bolt-on panels and over a thousand climbing holds. Naturally, I didn't appreciate or realize the significance of this event until many years later. But throughout the early 1980s, before Snowbird, I was definitely the most outspoken person about the future of the sport. On numerous occasions, whether it was at the sport convention in Chicago where I showcased a 64-foot overhanging crack machine that I climbed for speed every half hour, or at a college expo in Denver, Colorado where I showcased a freestanding four-sided bouldering wall I was predicting that climbing would be in the Olympics. Granted, (laughs) I didn't think it would take 30 plus years for that to happen, but here we are, at last. And I couldn't be more excited. Like Snowbird, where I elected to be the color commentator for CBS Sports, I'm choosing to take a similar role now with the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo, Japan. I prefer showcasing the Olympic hopefuls and having meaningful conversations that will provide an incredible insight into their most amazing minds. Which is why it gives me great pleasure to reintroduce Adam Under, the 26-year-old Czech climber that's taken the world by storm. Although most people outside of our climbing community have not heard his name, I guarantee That is about to change when he steps onto the grand stage at the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo, Japan. Adam Under is the man to beat. And for a lot of reasons. Adam is the only person to have won both the lead and the Bouldering World Cup title on the same year. And he's the only person to have climbed 515D or flashed 515A all while slaying V15s and 16s under is that formidable only a small handful of climbers can compete except the course in the discipline known as speed climbing the third discipline in the combined format for the 2020 olympics if you ever wondered what it will take to win a gold medal or what the toma skip and speed happens to be you are in for a treat adam shares what he believes will be the winning recipe so without further ado i'd like to reintroduce the one and only
1: adam under yeah welcome back to our show, man. Thank you for um agreeing to do this. Thank you welcome yeah it's been a while. I think the last time I spoke to you was uh right around silence mhm yeah how you been
2: since since comic silence
1: yeah um like
2: that. well. What happened last year? Well, last year I've been rock climbing quite a lot and uh, been quite successful as well. But this year, the season has changed completely as I switched my focus entirely into the competition. But anyway, I've been doing great all the time, even on the rock, even by doing the competition and training for the competition.
1: Yeah, no kid, man. I've been watching all the uh, World Cups and... uh... I tell you, (laughs) that win that you had (laughs) in Merrigan was just awesome. I'm not sure which was more exciting, uh, Merrigan or Moscow. It seemed like it came
2: right down to the very last problem. Mm, Yes. In Merrigan, it was my style, and let's say, in a way, It was impossible (laughs) to lose for me with the crack climbing experience. In Moscow, I did not manage to climb the boulder, and that's why I was not able to win. But anyway, both of the competitions were pretty pretty exciting for me because it was kind of a proof that I might be able to catch up with the guys in this modern style of bouldering.
1: Yeah, were you surprised when you saw the crack? Because you don't normally see cracks on boulder problems.
2: Um, yeah, I was definitely was surprised. And it seemed pretty obvious how you should climb it, but at the same time, it did not look like the easiest hand jam in the world. And also based on the conversation with the Japanese guys uh, about when they asked me how you should actually hand jam, I was quite surprised. And at <laughs> that moment, I was pretty sure that, they're going to have quite a hard time. But I was <laughs> <they did. laughs> I was thinking that it could be possible to climb the boulder problem even without the hand jam. And actually Won Chung was, was really close to do it. But of course, the grade of the boulder problem without the hand jam was a uh, totally di- different dimension.
1: Do <laughs> <laughs> you think they're going to start, because of that, they're going to start setting more of those kind of problems?
2: I don't know, but definitely the Japanese team started uh, trading uh, hand jams, like two days later, in in when they stayed in Nuremberg in Germany, and I think in Chongqing, uh, where I wasn't able to compete because I was sick. But based on the live stream in the semi-finals, I think the Boulder problem number one, which re- was not completed by any competitor, I think the last move was meant to be either hand jam or fifth. So (laughs) after Mayringen, I thought it would take like another five years for the hand gym to appear. But maybe it's getting easier for the routers to actually set a hand gym with such a huge variety of the volumes. So maybe we will see see it a little more frequently. I think it's quite likely.
1: Yeah, it'd be nice to see that in the Olympics. (laughs)
2: <laughs> we, we can't really anticipate anything, and <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I, I don't even think that we know the route address for the Olympics. And even if the route address we will know, I don't think the route address will tell us.
1: <laughs> when did you decide to turn all your attention on the 2020 Olympics?
2: Well, already when I heard the news that the climbing would be in 2020, and even though I knew the format, which I was not definitely entirely excited about, I knew straight away that I would like to give it a try and and uh, try to compete. And well, given the format, I know that it is very important for me to, let's say, maintain my skills in lead. And also improve as much as possible my skills in bouldering. So that's what I've been doing this first part of the season: improve my skills in bouldering and most importantly in this more kind of modern style. So that means uh, run and jumps and double dynos and triple dynos and also, which might be a little more surprising, standing on the flat volumes. Because yes, I've been climbing quite a lot on in like vertical or even slippy terrain on the on the rock. But uh, these modern slabs, it's not about standing onto something small, but it's about standing onto something flat and very slippery. And it's like entirely different technique.
1: Yeah, no kidding. So how do you train for that? I mean, like there's three different disciplines. Do you like break it up on um, a day to each?
2: So right now it's a little more easy because... I've been mostly training for bouldering as the lead season has not started yet. But obviously in August, uh, when there's going to be a world championships in Tokyo, which at the same time is the first option to nominate yourself for the Olympics, there's going to be all three disciplines within one event. And you have to be very ready for all three. So in a way, I see that for me, bouldering in the parts which I struggled the most, which is the coordination and the standing on the volumes. It is something that, it's a skill that once you learn it, you don't really lose it that quickly. So right now, it's kind of the preparation even for the World Championships in ball ring, whereas for the World Championships but itself, I'll be mostly training lead because I want to be as sure about nominating myself for the Olympics as possible. And in order to make it into top seven for the World Championships, it could be decided basically on one very good result. And for me, the most likely that I will get the good result is definitely read because it is much less random, let's say. In bowling, even though it's a really good bowler, you're good in all styles, it is very random as maybe you're not able to read one single bowler problem and maybe due to that, you're not even making semis, and it's completely possible. Mm-hmm. Of course, you can train it, you can get better in it, but it's very difficult. And so right now, I'm mostly training for bouldering, as well as uh, trying to improve my skills in the speed as well.
1: So speaking of speed, it seems to be um, the weakest for most climbers out there, unless they happen to be focused on speed in the first place. How are you training for that to make that your strength?
2: I definitely don't think it will ever be my strength. I'm completely aware of that. I know what I'm talented for and I know what I'm not. I can turn my weakness into something which I'm more average at. But, of course, I don't think that all the bowlers and leap climbers uh, are struggling with speed. Some of them are actually very, very good, at least compared to the boulders and, and the climbers. Like some of the Japanese guys are now breaking like the 6.5 seconds barrier, which is pretty slow compared to the speed specialist. But it is very likely that in the Olympic finals, it's going to be nobody else than boulders and knee climbers. So that's going to give them great advantage. Uh, so I'm trying to definitely improve my, my time. It's, I have already improved quite a lot, but even compared to the best lead climbers and boulders doing speed, I'm still relatively bad. And it is very hard to predict how much more I can improve. I, I'm pretty sure I can still improve a lot, but, uh, well, in the meantime, the best boulders and lead climbers will probably get even better in speed. I'm still definitely for the Olympic itself. I know that I can improve in speed, but I still have to rely on two very good results in lead bowling.
1: Yes, I heard that um, one of the things that really helped you with speed is the, the toma skip. Uh,
2: yes, uh, tomah skip is a sequence at the beginning of the speed route, which is right now used by all bowlers and all lead climbers. I don't think that many speed climber specialists, but it is a little less athletic sequence and requires more, let's say, like a bouldering power. And that's why it's it's better for us. And it's shorter, it's more straightforward, but it's kind of more basic, pure power, which you definitely need for bouldering. And it's not so much about the legs, which definitely most of the boulders, and especially lead car- climbers, they have their legs quite weak. Unlike the speed specialists, and that's why I think boulders prefer more just pulling with their arms rather than just legs.
1: <laughs> it looks like you're just doing a series of double dinos all the way up the entire route it's It's definitely
2: very difficult on your first drive, but the more you get into it, the more it kind of flows, and the more the easier the climbing gets. actually, the speed route itself is It's quite hard if you do it static, but it feels very easy if you do it dynamic and if you actually do it in the right speed. It is just series of of double dinos or of dynos itself. But what is different is that normally in bouldering, when you dyno, you just dyno with your hand. And once the dyno is finished, you take a swing and then you take your time and then you continue. The difference in speed climbing is that you make a dyno, but your foot is going up at the same time in order to generate more momentum right after the dyno is finished. <laughs> and, and then you do it, it again. It <laughs> takes quite a lot. Of, yeah, and then you do it again, 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 and ideally in 5.5 in 5 seconds you're up <laughs> if you are the biggest speed climber in the world. It's just pretty amazing. but Pretty. too. you
1: you know, a lot of people are against it, but I find it quite fascinating. You know, you just at first you just look at and just go, oh, this is kind of boring. But then when you really start looking at it and watching what you're actually doing, it's pretty amazing. I mean, do you think it's possible (laughs) for someone to crack
2: five seconds? I I think there is still more room to improvement, but I'm definitely not specialist. I've been speed climbing for the last six months, so. I haven't really got so much into it yet. But, um yeah, I think to cut off half a second is a lot for sure, but I think there is room for improvement. The sport is still quite young. The standard dude has been here for like 10 years or 10 years or something. And maybe there will be even like slight change of sequence as we could see you tomorrow. We mm-hmm. don't know.
1: What time are you
2: thinking? Do you have a target? So, right now I'm like sub-8, 7.8, something like that.
1: Yeah. What do you think it's going to take to win the Olympics in speed?
2: <laughs> That's what. why the Olympic event is so complicated. Like, you don't have to necessarily win the speed event to win the overall combined. To win the speed in the Olympic finals, if we see the likely possibility that there will be either one speed specialist or zero speed specialist, if there will be one speed specialist, then the winner will definitely go sub six. If there will be no speed specialist, I think the best bowler could be somewhere around six point something. When you look at the format, which discipline do you think is
1: favored the most? Like if you're if you're a strong lead climber, you're going to have advantage over everyone else, or is it the strong boulderer that's going to have the advantage over everyone else? So I
2: think if you look at it that way, it is very important to be good lead climber and good boulder. And in that case, if you're a good boulder, there is even more likelihood that you'll be able to climb the speed somehow I think the disadvantage that the boulders have is that they might be struggling a little more with the lead. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it is, it comes down a lot to the root setting. If it's going to be a real lead climbing, which is about like really pumpy roots, then the boulders will have a really hard time. Uh, But at the same time, the real lead climbers, they have a hard time at bouldering. Right now, bowlers are stronger in speed rather than lead climbing because it's quite logical. So mm-hmm. I think the combination is the best. At least to be very, very good in two disciplines. So I think the key recipe to get the, the Olympic medal is either be very good in bouldering and the best in speed out of the non-speed specialist and like average or okay in lead or very good in lead and bouldering and bad in speed. So I think in the end the most important event in the Olympics even though the weight for the multiplication is the same for lead, boulder and speed, uh it will come down to the bouldering in my opinion. Yeah. So when you're looking at a route, you know, one of the things that
1: everyone's really blown away by your ability to be able to read a route correctly I mean you you flash things that no one else seems to be able to read properly. what what do you think is your
2: secret to that I think in lead climbing I'm I'm quite good at it so I always have I always look at the route within the six minutes of observation time for the for the competitions I'm able to remember it very well and then I even take another hour just thinking about all the possible uh, sequences in the isolation zone And then I always have, like, one most likely sequence in in the back of my mind, which I just climb, I just visualize in the isolation time for, for a few times. And then when I start climbing, it kind of feels familiar. But at the same time, it's very, very important to, like, look up and potentially change your sequence if you see from a different perspective the higher you get that you might be wrong, then you just very quickly change it and decide for another option. I think it is a lot about just quick decisions. You really have to decide quickly. You, know, you get to the sequence. Maybe I had some other sequence uh, at the back of my mind. I look up. And I see, "No, no, no, this is bullshit. I have to change it. I change it immediately, and I go for it and the basic, the most important difference is that you really have to trust your decisions. It's not like, nah, I'll probably go their left hand. No, you decide you go their left hand and you go their left hand, and you're like, "Sure, this is the right way and so it's my style is definitely like a mixture of confidence. Yet, at the same time, taking a little bit of risk. I rely on my intuition a lot. And most likely, it works. There is a chance that it will not work, and I might fall off pretty early. But at the same time, I know that without taking these risks, I'm not able to perform my best. And um, I prefer having having at least the chance to perform my best. And that's why I inevitably have to take some risks and rely on the intuition and making these very fast decisions.
1: Yeah, in bouldering, you only get four minutes. And if you don't get the Yeah, flag, in
2: bouldering, but yeah. I, I, I don't think in bouldering, I always read the boulder problems that that good. And it comes down to lack of experience in this kind of modern style. In bouldering, it is much more difficult to read those sequences. Or sometimes, yes, I might think that there is a way which the routers were thinking of doing it, but at the same time, I see a different way that I might be able to cheat it through. And bouldering comes down to the number of attempts. So you're considering, huh, Is it better to try on Flash the cheater's way and it will work out and maybe I will end up cheating doing the bowler problem first try or I should stick to the coordination triple dyno from the very beginning. Um, It's difficult and it's, again, a lot comes down to the intuition and experience. And the more bowler problems of this modern style, the more competitions of this modern style I'll be doing, I'm hoping the better I will be.
1: Yeah, you definitely seem like you're just getting warmed up. We can only imagine where you're going to be by the time you get to the Olympics. Does the pressure of having to perform at such a high level ever get you?
2: Um, Yeah, for sure. It's it's difficult, and I find it especially difficult in bouldering, where, as I said, it's so much more about randomness and just being, with your mind, completely free and just willing to make these double dynos and triple dynos without thinking. It's much more easy for me to get into the right mindset in lead climbing if I feel a lot of pressure because in lead climbing, I feel so much more comfortable. That's what I've been doing all my life. And even though even in lead, this climbing style changed a little bit. It's a little more bolder. It's a little more dynamic. But that's actually even better for me. Like 10 years ago, when the lead climbing routes were just 100% about endurance, It was much less my style than the modern deep climbing routes where you actually have to make hard moves. And it's not only about when are you going to get pumped. (laughs) You definitely will get pumped. (laughs) Yeah, you'll get pumped sooner or later, definitely. But uh, today people fall off maybe more frequently just because the next move is just really hard. Mm-hmm. or they just read the sequence wrong. Not necessarily that they just get super, super pumped.
1: Uh, not to call you a freak of nature, but you do seem to have some of the most insane flexibility. Have you always been flexible, or have you had to work at it like everyone else?
2: I think there's two things, flexibility and mobility. I think my flexibility is, is okay, but mobility is best where I, where I might excel the most. And it's something, I think it's a combination of good genes. It's a combination that I worked on it since I was a little kid. I did a little bit of gymnastics when I was six, eight years old. And since then, it didn't take that much effort to
1: maintain it. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing to watch you do some of the moves with just like cringe <laughs> and I think it as a
2: climbing skill it's a very underrated in the perception of the climbers like so many climbers I think they would could get just such so much better results especially I think in on the competitions it's even more important than on the rock uh some climbers could get so much better performance if they just got a little more mobility. And I don't think it takes that much effort, but I think I, in the future, people will will see the benefits of being com- flexible much more.
1: Oh, yeah, I think so. You know, with the qualifying coming up in August, how many days are you going to allow yourself to taper? Are you going to compete right up to the very last minute, or are you going to slowly drop back on that?
2: Uh so there is I think three weeks between the last World Cup in Leeds until the World Championship, so I will uh, so I will take advantage of these three weeks to train. And after the World Championships, I'm not hundred percent sure. Maybe I'll be actually take some time off to, to Rockland and then maybe in the autumn instead of Continuing with the lead season, I might be uh, focusing more on speed. Um, I I'm, haven't decided yet. Definitely for the Olympics, the next year, I won't be doing the whole World Cup circuit. I think there it's much more important rather than just train and maybe pick some some of the important competitions to get like into the competition mode and zone but uh, it's actually more efficient to to train rather than just taking part of every single competition there is.
1: Yeah, and when you say train, what's your definition of training?
2: For me, training for the competitions is really staying in the gym and focusing on could be whatever, you know, with this new format that's lead, bouldering and speed. And training for these three disciplines is just completely different. And it's really, really difficult to combine all three disciplines into one training regime. And it's, I believe it's just much more efficient to just train in, let's say, like blocks to mm-hmm. to really focus the certain period on one discipline. So entirely different. And it's actually like, let's say, if you really want to train for lead, no matter what you have to get pumped but getting pumped makes you just too tired for the speed climbing even for the next day <laughs> because on the other hand if you want to train for speed climbing you really have to be fresh it's all about like high quality training with very very long breaks and if you don't do that then the climbing is all then the training for speed is almost worthless it's like something in between Especially back back five years ago, maybe not so much because it was much more about the fitness. And you can train a lot for the fitness even when you are tired. But with this new school coordination dinos, if you are tired, you don't really get to learn so much like the new coordination style moves. If you are fresh, you get to learn like in terms of movement much more.
1: Wow. I tell you, we could not be more excited. I wish the Olympics was happening next week.
2: <laughs>
1: and, and speaking of training, I know you want to get back at it. I just want to thank you, Adam, for your time. And, and mm-hmm. on behalf of everyone that's listening to the podcast, I wish you all the greatest success. May the road to the 2020 Olympics be paved in gold for you. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Adam. Take care of yourself. I'm sure we'll be talking again. Bye. Bye-bye.
0: Wow. I don't know about you, but that was one heck of a conversation. Very rarely do you get a chance to talk to one of the greatest climbers of our time and get a glimpse inside their mind. You might not realize it, but every time you listen to someone like Adam Under as they share their thoughts, their thoughts will become your thoughts. In other words, success breeds more success. It doesn't matter if you're talking about business or Olympic sports. A successful mindset can be developed and is a must if you want to climb 512 or harder or you want to jump into the competitive ring. As with many of the podcasts that we have done, there are so many takeaways, I'm not sure where to begin. One thing's for sure, however, if you take a moment to survey the route or bowl the problem before you jump onto it and you rehearse the moves inside your head using visualization techniques and most importantly, you trust your gut intuition and commit to the moves you will dramatically increase your flash of and the number of sends on your scorecard. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like and share with your friends. We appreciate it more than you know. Until next time, my friends, this is Dan Goodwin, your entertainment source for extreme sports.